So Shirley, um, God says don't freak out. Um, the, the battle, the, the battle is the Lord's. I know that you're in you're in a battle. I know you feel like you're in a battle. I know you feel like there are a lot of things that that are riding on this whole election thing, and and you're. And you're just trying to be faithful to him, and you're tr- and you're trying uh, to be obedient to him, and that's all true, and that's all Im- important. Um, and I know this is harder for you than it's ever been. Uh, God says, "Don't forget this one really important thing. It's his battle; it's not your battle. Uh, um, it's and um, and he is faithful. God is faithful. God will always be faithful." Um, his ways aren't your ways. His thoughts aren't your thoughts. Um, and, and God knows God knows more than you do. God knows more than we do. God knows more than anybody. The kind of things that are um, riding on this election. And God says that there are, and this is, this is more important God says that there are other things going on that are even more important than the election. And don't be distracted. Don't let an, a, don't let an election distract you from the things that are even more important. Um, and I, I think he could say that to most of us, um, just in general to, the, to this congregation and, and to the country, don't let what's going on in Washington distract you from the things that are really important. <coughs> Don't let politics distract you from the things that are really important. Don't let what's going on on Facebook distract you from the things that are really important. There are, <clears throat> there are things in this life that we have to sort of endure and survive. Um, but just like God said to Martha, Mary chose... The, there's only, there's only, there are things that are more important than other things. And in this case, there's one thing that's more important than all, and, and Mary chose it. Um, so don't get sucked into anything that causes you to lose your focus on the things that are most important. Um, and Jesus said those things, when he said that to Mary, he said there, those are things that will never be taken away. Now, you can be the greatest elected official in the world um, and turn limits will eventually get you. Eventually, uh, eventually you can't do that job anymore. Uh, that's, this is the, that's it. So, you're either going to be, you're either going to stop being a city council member this May or the end of the next term. But God says they're just more more important things, and then even no matter how important this looks and feels, more important things. Don't be distracted from those. Don't be distracted, and that goes for all of us. You think you're in some kind of big, huge battle, and and a lot of times it just distracts you from the things that are most important. Amen. Understand. Um, and as we were in the war, Lord, at that moment. I was just so wonderful. I didn't want to come out of it. Um, what did you experience 
in worship right now. I just want you to encourage each other. When you, if, if you experience something from the Lord in, in those times when we are just with him uh, and as he's ministering to us, however he's ministering, so important that we encourage each other um, that it's not wasted time. Um, nothing that God wants us to do is wasted, so surely. Absolutely, the truth. Randy, Carly, we'll learn how to how to be even more comfortable there. I think. Um, oh yes. Oh yes. Anybody else? Turn the button on. <laughs> this is one of those deals where it probably doesn't mean as much to you. You know, somebody tells you a story, and, but you're going, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, I had a dream some time back, maybe a few years ago, and couldn't figure out this one part of it until this morning. Actually, I didn't figure it out. God shined a light on it. The first song. In the first song, there was these words, Out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. To this dream I went, and God gave me what this part of this dream, which was very vivid, means. <clears throat> the dream, I used to live in Twin Isles. There's a big curve right there for you. Get to where you turn left going to Twin Isles. Yeah, it is. And I was always scared about what's coming around the corner, you know, because I got to turn there pretty quick. When this dream, I was in a bad wreck right there. And like, I was supposed to be dead. They covered the vehicle up. And there was a cop out there directing traffic. And I said, hey, <laughs> I'm not dead. <laughs> and immediately I just left that and I walked out into the field right there. And there was a bunch of people standing there just like that. Don't even know what they're doing. They're just nowhere to go. Don't know what to do. And they were good people, but they were lost. And so I go over there, and a few things took place. But very vividly, to get back to what God showed me with the song, there was this mountain or hill right there. And God gave me the ability to do it, but I pulled a long beam of solid gold out of it. And it just made her bite. Okay. And I went with them. I don't know where we went, but I, I let them off. That's the hill of Zion. Out of Zion's The gold hill. beam is salvation. Yeah, out of Zion's hill. Well, God showed you. Out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. Out of Zion's hill. Hallelujah. Bless you, God. Bless you, God. Bless you, God. Bless you, God. Lord, we thank you. Um, show my picture again. It's not my picture, but... Uh, oh, I've got my button. I'm sorry. Almost, almost scares you, but I can use my own button. Uh, come on. Um... 
So I just, I lost my arrow, I'm sorry. Okay, thank you very much. All right, so I just, I don't know when I'll ever get tired of looking at this picture. Uh, I'm mostly showing it because James and Sherry missed it last Sunday, so I'm just, I just put this back in here for you. Um, that's powerful. That's powerful. Busting loose, Jesus busting loose, and the same spirit that made that possible, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, now dwells in Caleb. That's right, you missed it last week too. The same spirit that made this happen is living in Caleb. Everybody in the front row, as a matter of fact, everybody in this room, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that, that spoke and said, light be and light was. That's a little translation of Genesis chapter 1. And God said, light be and light was. That same power blew the tomb apart and Jesus didn't come like Jesus was like she just busted loose with excitement about meeting you and 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 setting prisoners free and going back down to hell and bringing back a great host of captives and he was just I mean he was psyched and he was fired up the same spirit that did all of that is going on right now in here. I'm, I can, uh, if you want to hear the sermon, go back to the website. It was, God really spoke to us, but that's, that image will forever change my, changes every, everything I thought I knew about the resurrection and Easter and about what's really going on in here. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. The same power, the same presence, the same person, the same potential is in you. In you. Working in you now. Okay, so, so that's a cool p- picture. And, uh, um, but, but now I want you to compare that to this picture. So, so, so somebody tell me who this is. Wrong. Keep guessing. What? Who said? Who said Alice Cooper? Okay, Randy's favorite band growing up. It was the Gaithers and Alice Cooper, right? Right. Yeah, this is Alice Cooper. This is um, Alice Cooper. Uh, one time was known as the King of Shock Rock. Um, Alice Cooper is famous for for uh, concerts that f- featured fake blood scattered everywhere and and guillotines and fake suicides and coming on stage w- wrapped up in big giant boa constrictors uh, and he's he's actually also famous for something that he didn't actually do 
biting the head off of a live chicken during a concert. He, everybody thinks he did that. Um, he didn't really do that. There, there was a chicken, and there was a stunt that they were doing on stage that involved uh, a lot of feathers coming out of a giant pillow. Um, you can read about it online. And somehow a live chicken was somehow caught up in the feathers, and the chicken got loose on stage. I can't tell you why. But there, and so um, Alice Cooper just... I mean, then, then, then there was a mass of people and they were all just going berserk out there. And so he, he picked up the, the chicken, not having been raised on a farm, he just assumed that chickens know how to fly and he just picked it up and he, he did like this, but it, it didn't fly. It did what chickens do when you do this. It, it just went out a few feet into the marsh pit and then it just fell back in where, where it met an untimely demise. Uh, and um, so, uh, and and so, it, um, there wasn't really even an internet in those days. But but the, uh, the the story circulated really quickly that he had that crazy, irrational, super goofed up, destructive Alice Cooper. He bit the head off of a live chicken and drank the blood. <laughs> fake news before there was even a fake news disseminator. Uh, and and so a couple of days later, he got a phone call from one of his friends in the rock business, promotion business. He said, did you really do that? And, and, and Alice Cooper said, no, no, man. I, like, there was just a total misunderstanding. I, I never did that. And the guy said, well, so now, so, all right, so I understand, but just don't ever deny it. <laughs> because you're getting, it's building your brand to just, uh, to let people keep on believing that. Not true. So, but, but you can imagine uh, this guy, sh- shock, heavy metal, um, f- uh, famous for lots of ugly, dark things, um, screaming guitars and chaos on stage. Um, can you imagine what it would be like if Alice just showed up in church one Sunday? I mean, he and his whole band and their outfits and their makeup and everything, they just walked into church. Uh, and you are, especially, you know, like this is in the 70s, uh, when talk, most Christians were just really super, super uptight. And so let's assume that Alice Cooper and his band just shows up at like First Assembly, First Baptist, uh, Foot Washing Baptist Church, whatever. And they just walk in. And, and the, guy who, the guy who bit the head off of a dead, of a live chicken has come to church and what are we going to do? What are we going to do? This is, I mean, he looks scary and he's acting scary. Scary person just came to church. What are we going to do? Um, uh, so let's go back to Acts chapter 9. Remember last time we were in Acts chapter 9, uh, Paul had just been let down from, the, from the Damascus in a basket, right? Because they were trying to kill him. He, he just accepted Jesus. Now they're trying to kill him. It's, so he... he he escapes Damascus by being hidden in the basket, dropped over the side of the wall, but probably not very comfortable. And off he goes uh, to Jerusalem. He and a few friends go back to Jerusalem, where it's just where, uh, um, when, when Paul left Jerusalem, he was 
a hater of Jesus, a hater of Christians, had already arrested, had already participated in the murder of uh, a highly respected deacon in the brand new church, breathing fire and insults and death and threats to Christians. And now a few weeks later, he's, hey guys, I'm back. Things could not be more different. But the last time any of the Christians at Jerusalem had seen him, it was behind locked, you know, looking, peeping from behind trees and from under bushes and trying to run away from him. And now he just walks back into town. And, uh, Brother Peter, how you doing? Good friend. Uh, James, John, hey, how you doing? And so they were freaking out. They were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a, a disciple, not believing that he could possibly be a disciple. Of course, uh, Alice Cooper walking into church wouldn't be quite as scary as somebody who had threatened to kill everybody in the church already. But a guy with Alice Cooper's reputation walks into church. It's going to make some, of, some Christians, especially back in those days, in the late 60s, uh, this heyday was 69 through 73, and uh, all those big hits were then, uh, would make a lot of Christians really, really, really uncomfortable. Like, what are we supposed to do about this? Yeah, hide your chickens. Alice Cooper's coming to town for a concert. Everybody hide your chickens. Uh, But let me just talk about this for a second. Because Alice Cooper walks into church almost every day, every, every Sunday now. As it turns out, Alice Cooper and his wife were both PKs. They were both preacher's kids. Uh, Alice Cooper's dad was a pastor. His grandfather was an evangelist. Uh, His wife's father was a pastor. He got into rock music because that was the thing that you get into. And he almost died. He he was hanging out with, with Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix and some other guys in that generation, all of whom died from drug overdoses. And Alice Cooper was a highly functional but desperately sick alcoholic who was throwing up blood every day because that's how much he drank. And and for him, Alice, um, Alice Cooper... Alcohol didn't make him a slobbering fall down drunk. Alcohol caused him to be highly functional. Uh, The more he drank, the more, uh, the the better he thought it made him. Um, And so nobody could, could, nobody could confront him and say, man, you've got to stop drinking because you embarrassed yourself on stage because that that didn't, wasn't how it affected him. Uh, except it was ruining his body. And he, he saw that Jimi Hendrix had died. And he saw that um, Jim Morrison and a couple of other his close friends had died. And he said, I've just got to, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And he got down on his knees and he cried out to Jesus. Jesus, please deliver me from this. I've got... Um, got to turn my life around. I can't, I can't live this way anymore. Um, and God answered his prayer. 
He said, I, I, I was, I didn't have to, I didn't actually really ever go into a treatment center. I didn't go into a 12-step program. I wasn't, it wasn't one of those situations where over time I was um, cured of alcoholism. Um, so I've just, I was just healed. I was just healed. And, um, and this was back in the 70s. He, he didn't give up his career. When he, when he turned his life back over to Jesus, uh, he established a relationship with the church and he went to the, the church and, and uh, he, t- he told his pastor, I said, well, I've got to, I guess I need to find a new career now. Obviously, I, I can't play music anymore. And his pastor said, no. You might need to tweak your act a little bit. But, but God's, God's given you a gift and a talent and a platform and he's, God's going to redeem that thing. Keep, keep playing schools out for the summer as long as you want to. Um, um, so he's a member, he and his wife, he's been married to the same woman for 41 years. Um, he teaches whenever whenever he's at home and not touring someplace. He's they go to Camelback Bible Church outside of Phoenix, and uh, he teaches junior high boys Sunday school class occasionally. Uh, and um, he's devote he's invested a lot of money into charitable Christian Christ centered programs down in the and the disadvantaged parts of Phoenix uh, helping bring, bring stability to the lives of a lot of kids. And when he's on the road, whenever he's not at home on Sundays and he's in town somewhere, he picks a church and just shows up. Um, because it's... So I'm telling you that story because... Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible. He was raised with the truth. And he never really got too far away from the truth. He thought he could live without the truth, but uh, God brought him back in the right way at the right time. Um, Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is ever impossible with God. And... Alex Cooper is a great example, but there's not a greater example than the Apostle Paul, who one week was killing Christians, the next week was uh, reaching out to people, trying to introduce them to Jesus. So, um, so they were trying to kill him. Uh, the, the, the Christians weren't trying to kill him; they were just running away from him. Ah, Paul's in town. Hide your chickens. Um, and they're not Paul; he's still Saul. <laughs> And he was, wasn't getting any traction with the believers. He, did, he, he was like a man, suddenly a man without a country. Um, the Jews didn't have anything to do with him. Any, well, of course, he had abandoned them. They had, he'd become a traitor. And the, the Christians that he thought was going to welcome him with open arms were like, ah, hide your chickens. They, were just, they, didn't, they, they did not trust him because, wait, because they saw what he did at the stoning of Stephen. And you put my grandmother in jail. Um, so he would have been stuck there forever except for this dude named Barnabas. Barnabas took a hold of him. 
brought him to the apostles, described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And um, let me say this. Every one of us needs a Barnabas in our lives. Every one, a Barnabas. So, you know, we meet Barnabas first back in chapter 4 when he sells a piece of property and comes and lays it at the apostles' feet. At that point, he's referred to as uh, Joseph of Cyprus or Joseph the Cypriot, who is also sometimes called Barnabas. The word Barnabas is based on uh, Barnabas is, is based on a, a couple of words that put together mean son of encouragement. And that was the reputation. That was Barnabas's reputation in the book of Acts. We'll come across it again. Barnabas was a person who never gave up on people. Barnabas was a person who was generous, who was an encourager. Um, he was a problem solver. He, he was very mercy motivated. And uh, when nobody else would talk to Paul, when most of the people wanted to run Paul out on a rail, um, Barnabas said, no, 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 you've got this all wrong. Come here, come here, Saul. Hey, Saul, come over here. There's my good friend, Saul. Just play along with this. Um, this is my good friend, Saul. Let me tell you about my good friend, Saul. I know he had a bad day a few weeks back where he was killing people. Uh, but you just got to understand, God's, God's changed his life. God's uh, set him free. God uh, has delivered him. He saw Jesus. He had a vision of Jesus on the road. Jesus spoke to him. When's the last time a vision of Jesus spoke to you? Jesus spoke to him, and now he's... Uh, he's went all over Damascus preaching the word of the Lord. My good friend Barnabas, you got to give this guy a chance because I'm, I'm vouching for Barnabas. He's coming to eat at my house. We're, we're going to Chick-fil-A after this. Uh, um, trust me when I tell you Saul is good. All right, so... So the, the Christians were willing to give him a chance after that. And so now Saul was with them and he was allowed to move about freely in Jerusalem and he started or kept on going, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews. Who are the Hellenistic Jews? Anybody? Anybody? There are Jews that were actually born someplace outside of, of Judea. They some other they were they had a Greek background, not uh, a Semitic background. Yeah, they spoke Greek and they were uh, and they had a Greek culture. Uh, but so I just have to stop and say this: He was Paul uh, Saul because he still Saul. Saul never met uh, a debate that he didn't like. I'm pretty sure about that. And but now he's. He, he says, moving about f freely in Jerusalem, which means 
He's running around all over the place. He's running around all over the place and he's speaking out boldly in the name of Jesus and he's talking and he's arguing with the Hellenistic Jews and they weren't taking this kindly. They decided um, that they just needed to kill him. Now, part of that is because they're Jews and they have a bad attitude, but I have to stop and say this. Back in the early days of the charismatic movement, we sort of had a saying that anybody... Once they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, any of y'all remember this? Once somebody has received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they need to be locked up in a closet (laughs) for for about a year because they're all running around saying, I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. I can speak in tongues. Watch what I can do. Uh, Let me prophesy over you. Let me lay hands on you. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. And... And, and they're uh, obnoxious, they're super excited, and they also scare people. They, you go home, I mean, you went off to college, and you were going uh, to major in uh, nutrition and be a cafeteria lady. And then, and then, <laughs> and, and then when you come home, uh, you want to... You want to be a missionary to Africa and you're trying to teach everybody to speak in tongues. And, th- and they think you've joined a cult. And, and they, they want to take the car keys away from you. And they don't want to listen to what you have to say because you're talking like a crazy person. And I submit to you, this was Saul. At this point, he had a lot of things to be excited about. I mean, he had just received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so he was wound up tighter than the $2 watch. And he, what, he, what he wanted to do is just tell everybody everywhere in Jerusalem all the time out loud about Jesus. And he made himself so obnoxious, people just wanted to kill him. Uh, I mean, I know it sounds a little sinister and nefarious here that the Jews decided to kill him. Uh, and... And we know that they had a bad attitude. But I think there was a lot of people who are Christians who are sitting there going, oh, Paul, Saul, don't. No, don't go. Don't, don't go there. There he went again. Uh, and so they come up with this plan. The brethren, when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea. Actually, Caesarea Maritima, because there's two Caesareas in Israel. So this was Caesarea Maritima, because that was on the coast, on the Mediterranean coast, and they put him on a boat and they sent him to Tarsus. And which is the equivalent of what? When you're, when you're Paul and you've been sent to Tarsus, not Tarshish, we don't want to get over there. Tarshish is someplace else that uh, somebody else wanted to go to Tarshish and we're not going to talk about him right now. They put him, they put Paul on a boat and sent him to Tarsus. Why? What? They sent him home. Because that's where he was from. Paul was born uh, in Tarsus, which is uh, part of the region of Cilicia, which is the Turkish Mediterranean coast. Uh, um, Tarsus was a Roman city. It was one of, it was, it, it was like a royal city. It was, it was a seat of Roman government. And everybody who lived in Tarsus this is just a little aside, comes into play later on in the book. Uh, if you were born in Tarsus, you were automatically, what? 
Roman citizen. If you were born in Jerusalem or any place around there, if you want to be a Roman citizen, you had to pay a lot of money. Uh, it's like an extra added feature you could buy to upgrade. But, but Paul was born in Tarsus, uh, famous for... I learned so many interesting things. Uh, Tarsus was famous for one big export. Don't ask me why. Uh, but they were famous for weaving heavy goat hair cloth, which they shipped all around the world and was used in the manufacture of tents. Tents. Uh, One of the most famous exports of the city of Tarsus was the fabric for making tents out of, which um, also ended up coming in handy. But anyhow, so, so Paul's totally out of control. So look at this. Um, Paul needed somebody, even, he, even though he was saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, super fired up about Jesus. He needed uh, somebody to take hold of him. And there's, there's an, uh, I haven't studied this word like I should have before the sermon, but the image to me, I think, when it says Paul, when, when Barnabas took hold of him, it wasn't like, Come on over here, good buddy. It was like like a giant hook, just just uh, getting him out of his own way. Uh, I'm going to took hold. I, Barnabas took charge of him. He was uh, Barnabas adopted him when nobody else would. There's no indication at all that they had any kind of a relationship until this very moment when God moved on Barnabas and said, "Somebody's got to help this boy." Barnabas, would you? Would you go help him out? Super fired up, full of the Holy Spirit, prophesying on everything, boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus and running everybody off. He needed, Paul needed discipling. He needed teaching. Even though he was the smartest guy in the room, ever run into a situation where uh, there's a guy and, and he, he's the smartest guy in the room and he knows he's the smartest guy in the room, and, but he continues to offend everybody um, he doesn't even realize it. And, and that's really uncomfortable, especially if you are that person. Um, but Saul didn't know what he didn't know. And the believers came and they rescued him. And they, they protected him. They comforted him. And at the right time, when they knew he needed help beyond what he could appoint for himself, they put him on a boat and they sent him home and they said just chill out there um, don't call us we'll call you whatever it is they, they, they were there for him it's, we don't think of, of the great apostle Paul we don't think of the great apostle Paul being somebody who needed help from anybody but from the moment he met Jesus, he was blind, he was led around, he needed somebody to heal his eyes, he needed somebody to lay hands on him to receive the Holy Spirit, he needed somebody to drop him over a wall in a basket, and now he's in Jerusalem and he thinks he's finally made it, but he hadn't even got, he's not even, not, this is Paul not ready for prime time. And Barnabas was there for him, and the brethren in Jerusalem were there for him because he needed 
He needed somebody to be there for him while God completely reprogrammed his life. Well, well, well. Um, and we, we need a Barnabas who can come and take hold of us. And we need brothers and sisters who can help us get out of our own way sometime. We need people who can stand with us and guide us and support us. And even when we're messing up, um, instead of turning their backs on us and saying, gosh, I can't stand that Paul. He just won't shut up. Um, they lovingly sit down and encourage him and help him to move on to the next step in his life. It's a really, really cool story. And, and they send him home. Paul, go back home, make a few tents. Uh, so then, here's the next part. Uh, after that, check this out. The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace. <laughs> they sent, they sent, so, they, so they enjoyed peace two different ways. First, they enjoyed peace because Paul's no longer trying to kill him. And now they're enjoying peace because uh, Paul's no longer going crazy all over Jerusalem, uh, stirring everybody up and getting them in more trouble because uh, he won't uh, behave himself. So now they enjoyed peace being built up. Um, the, the word in Greek for this being built up is, is the same word that, where we get the word edified. It means like brick by brick, solid foundation, getting stronger and bigger and healthier. Uh, so they're at peace. They're getting stronger and bigger and healthier. They're going on in the fear of the Lord, which is this, uh, this reverence and, and clear awareness. So we're, uh, a reverence for God and rejoicing in his love clearly um, humbled by his power knowing that at any time he wanted to, God could squish you like a... What? Right. God could squish you like a bug. All right? God has a power to squish you like a bug. And the only reason God hasn't squished you like a bug? Not waiting to drop a piano on you. He hasn't squished you like a bug because he loves you. He could squish you like a bug. And you don't don't want... you don't, you don't want to take that for granted because things can turn out really bad. So the going on in the fear of the Lord is this combination of, oh my goodness, this is the creator of the universe, like Peggy was, uh, and, and Connie were talking, this is the creator of the universe. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. He could squish me like a bug, but he loves me. Going on in that kind of clear, crystal clear awareness um, going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now, put this in capitals because we've been hearing in the book of Acts all this time now about the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've seen signs and wonders and speaking in tongues and incredible crazy stuff. And we're going to see more incredible crazy stuff. Um, We can't... So far, every single sermon that, uh, lesson we've had of the book of Acts has, has, the, has the participating presence of the Holy Spirit in there somewhere, somehow. 
because their whole lives were changed because the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, dwelling in them, busting loose out of them, spreading the power and the glory of God everywhere. And so we've got this image of the incredible, irresistible power of God that's changing everything, everywhere, all the time, and rewriting the history books and rewriting their theology. And they're, they're just going around. They get up every morning wanting to see what Jesus is going to do next. When's the last time you got so excited jumping out of bed because you wanted to see what Jesus was going to do today? Why aren't we there? The same Spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead is dwelling in Anna. Anna, when you get up in the morning, you ought to be excited about... You are getting up in the morning, right? Uh, well, Jesus will help you get up in the morning. And, and then be excited to see what Jesus is going to do today. And that's their whole life. The power of God. They're going to tell their story. The power of God is going to change people's lives. But right here, going on in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. There's a connection, an important connection here. The beginning of our story about Paul today. Paul is basically rescued by Barnabas, whose name is what? son of encouragement and now we have the Holy Spirit at the end who has been sent to encourage us to so the word here parakaleo uh, means to come alongside to to comfort and encourage comfort a comforter is somebody who comes into your life to be there for you, to be with you, to be there for you, to encourage you, to support you, not to magically instantly fix everything, but to stand with you, sit with you, walk with you, support you, so that you are not alone during your journey to wholeness. Jesus says in John chapter 14, he says what? Uh, Don't freak out. I'm, yes, I'm going away, but I'm going to send you what? I'm going to send you a comforter. He didn't say I'm going to mail you a comforter uh, from like Amazon. He said, I am going to send you a comforter who will be with you and will be in you. It's the same word, uh, paraclete, or the, the, the paracleo is the root word. Barnabas was a comforter to Paul. Son, you know, Bar, so Barnabas, that's Aramaic, but it would be paracleo in Greek. Uh, Barnabas was son of encouragement. Barnabas, the comforter. And at the end, what we discover is that the entire church was going on in the comfort of the Holy Spirit there are plenty of days when you need to see the power of God demonstrated in that busting loose picture but there are there are a lot of days when what you need is just the assurance that you are not alone that there's somebody that's going to be there 
to stand with you, sit with you, walk with you, support you. Because this isn't, your growth in Christ is not an event. It's a process. It's one day at a time, one step at a time as you grow and go deeper and deeper into Jesus. Gradually putting off the flesh, getting more comfortable, living by the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit sometimes is just there. The Holy Spirit's just there to say, fear not, I'm with you. Barnabas came along like the Holy Spirit with skin on and said to Paul, don't freak out. I'm with you. I'm not going to I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to be here for you. We've all got this fear, right? The fear that I'm not enough. If I'm not enough, that means I'll never be loved, which means I'm going to end up alone. Barnabas said, Paul, I know you've had a kind of a weird life up to now. Just want you to know I'm here for you. I've got your back. And there's a whole lot of other brothers and sisters here in Jerusalem. We got your back. Even though you're driving us crazy right now, we've got your back. We're going to be here for you. And now what we see at the end is the whole church moving along with the confidence and the awareness that they are not alone and they're not going to be abandoned by God. Every day, in a thousand different ways, they're experiencing the reality that God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. And this, one more reminder, the church went on, the, comfort, the fear of the Lord, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and continued to increase. This, is a, this word in Greek means, again, an, uh, exponential multiplication. The church is just growing so fast it's like now there are 500 people out there reaching 50 of their closest friends all at once. And it's completely out of control. It's a wildfire now. The Holy Spirit, it's more than just going viral. It's, it's going super viral. The church is going everywhere it runs because the Holy Spirit in 500 people is reaching out and touching the Holy Spirit in 50 of their closest friends because they've all experienced the comfort of the Holy Spirit, not just the power but the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that, that peace that we focused on this morning during worship. Peace is a person. His name is Jesus. And he will never not be there for you. You're going to want him to fix stuff. A lot of times you're just going to make, make this go away. God, fix it. Please fix it, God. Jesus just saying, don't freak out. I'm, I'm just going to be here. We will get through this. We will get through this together. I will make sure. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to abandon you. Let's pray. So Jesus, first of all, we pray for Alice Cooper this morning. (laughs) What a blessing, Lord. What a blessing to know that somebody that we thought for years and years was just a crazy person. Turns out he's been in love with you most of his life. And you've, you've preserved his health, you've perverse, perverse, preserved his family, you've preserved his marriage, and you're using him to touch people's lives for you.
in the most bizarre, un, unbelievable way that we could think. And you're being glorified for it, and we thank you. But Lord, here we are, basking in, the, in this word of comfort. Thank you, Lord, for being our comforter. Thank you for surrounding with people and comforting us through them. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the wonderful privilege of being able to be there for each other. We bless you and we praise you, Lord. We're so glad that we belong to you and we belong to your body. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.